This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler. Here with me today on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And today on the show, back by popular demand, is the first edition of our annual Summer Scouting the Enemy series, where we go down the schedule, and what we do is we break down each Power 5 opponent. We don't spend time on the, the Division 2 teams, we don't waste time with that kind of stuff, uh, but we look at all the Power 5 opponents on our schedule, and we give you a very, admittedly, a very early preview of each game. And uh, we love doing these shows uh, every summer, and, and based on the feedback, it seems like most of you guys out there seem to enjoy it as well. And up first... In week two, we have our week two opponent, the South Carolina Gamecocks, to preview today. But first, just want to remind everyone out there that you can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to get your thoughts on this show, all the other shows that we've got up there the past couple of weeks. Uh, let us know what you think about South Carolina. If, are they really our prime contender for the SEC East this year? I also want to make sure everyone knows where to follow or where to find the show. And you can find us on dogsportsradio.com first and foremost. You can download the Dog Sports Radio internet app straight to your smartphone you can also find us on some of the bigger platforms out there itunes soundcloud and the uh, stitcher and TuneIn apps as, as well we really appreciate everyone that has uh, just taken a little bit of time and given us a rating review it doesn't take long about maybe 30 seconds i don't know something like that to do a rating probably more like three seconds but if you haven't yet we really appreciate if you give us a quick rating review just give us some feedback on the show but um all right with that out of the way kurt what i'm gonna do man is i'm, I'm gonna start this breakdown so i'm trying a little bit differently I'm going to give you, I'm just going to throw out a few stats from offense and from the defense side of the ball from 2017. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a chance to respond based off of those stats. So let's start here. The offensive side of the ball last year in 2017. South Carolina finished 12th in the SEC in total offense, averaging 337 yards a game. It wasn't any better if you look at the yards per play. They were also 12th in the SEC in yards per play, averaging a measly 5.46 yards per play. Couldn't even get to 5.5. Uh, they threw the ball better than they, run, better than they ran it. They uh, were 6th in passing in the SEC with 214 yards a game. Not great, but, you know, right there in the middle of the pack. Uh, however, they were not hitting chunk plays at all. They were only 11th in the SEC in pass yards per attempt. Uh, they uh, were complete. They were hitting seven yards per attempt last year with Jake Bentley at the helm. Compare that to us with Jake Fromm last year. Fromm compl- uh, was at eight point seven yards per attempt. Uh, now running the ball, they were just they were not good. That's all you can say here. Twelfth in rushing offense in the SEC at one hundred twenty two yards a game. Yards per carry, no better. Twelfth in the SEC, three point nine two yards per carry, less than four yards a rush. That's not good. Uh, they weren't explosive either. They were twelfth in explosive plays. Uh, they had 19 plays of 30-plus yards last year. Compare that to us, we had 43 plays of 30-plus yards last year. 
Uh, and that was with a true freshman quarterback, by the way. Uh, third down conversions, pretty paltry. 12th and third down conversions in the league at 38%. Now, they are only losing three stars off that offense, but those are some, I mean, less than pedestrian numbers. Now, if you look at the defensive side of the ball here, it was definitely a better look for them defensively. This was, if there was a strength of their team last year, it was the defensive side of the ball. It makes sense with Will Muschamp there as the head coach. But they were uh, right in the middle of the pack defensively. They were seventh in the SEC in total defense, giving them an average of 367 yards per game. They were pretty solid in yards per play, which I, I'm really big on. If you listen to the show, you know that. Uh, they were fifth in the league in yards per play, surrendered at five yards per play. Uh, rush defense was okay. It was average. They uh, gave 141 yards a game, which was good for seventh in the league. Uh, they only gave up 3.7 yards per carry, though, which was fourth in the league, which is pretty solid there. They weren't great against the pass, uh, which is interesting. And so they had three seniors back there in their secondary. They were, they were 10th in pass defense in the SEC at 226 yards surrendered per game. They didn't get after the quarterback at all. They were 11th in the league in sacks uh, with 26. Uh, now, they did a really good job. One thing that really helped them out is they were second in limiting explosive plays. They only gave up 16 plays of 30-plus yards last year, which which is really solid. Uh, now, on defense, though, those numbers, like, it's it's like offensive numbers were bad last year, but they're only losing three stars. Last year, the defense, the numbers were decent. They were solid, but they're losing seven starters off that defense. They're losing three of the top four defensive linemen, Ulrich Jones, Taylor Stallworth, Dante Sawyer, uh, starters on the defensive front there. Um, only guy they got coming back is Wanham there. Uh, and then the defensive backfield, they're losing three of their four starters, losing uh, Chris LeMans, uh Jamarcus King, and DJ Smith. You're also losing the best player of the defense last year, Sky Moore, at inside linebacker. So pretty solid numbers defensive, but they're losing a lot, a lot like us this year. So Curtis, now that I've thrown out all of those numbers there, my first question for you is that the general consensus out there among all the talking heads and fans alike, it seems to me that right now that South Carolina will be our biggest challenger for the SEC East crown in 2018. But taking those numbers that I just ran through from 2017 into account, so looking at those numbers, why are so many out there picking South Carolina to almost unquestionably be the team, because that's pretty much the general consensus, to be the team that pushes us for the SEC East title in 2018? Um, I think the honest... The honest answer is, of all the SEC East teams, I think they're the most rounded of the teams because you have Missouri, who will have a, more than likely a very good offense, but not, you know another subpar defense. You have Probably. Florida, who um, they're just not well rounded, and then you have Kentucky, who I mean, you just look across the entire East, and not one team is well rounded compared to South Carolina, where they're not great in any one category, but they're above average in almost every category. But they were terrible offensively last year; like they were well, terrible. I mean, that's the thing, as, as terrible as they were, they still finished where they did last year, and I, I think, I mean, I think they will. Improve but could that have been a function of teams like Florida? They were down Missouri. They, Missouri finished with a flurry, but they were down. Tennessee was way down last year. They're probably going to be down again this year. They'll probably be a little bit better. And I think that plays into it. If all these teams were, you know, if Florida was back up, Tennessee was up, then South Carolina would not, you know, last, especially last year would not have finished where they were. And probably this year, too, they probably wouldn't finish where they are. But I think that plays into effect is, you know, everyone is not at the top of their game right now. And you just, and that, that's the biggest thing. I think this is their chance to finish high up in the SEC East until teams like maybe Tennessee and Florida start to regroup. So you're essentially saying it's by default, that there's just no other contender. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a good, solid team, but do I think that the, realistically, in the last decade, if they had a team like this within the last decade, would they be that good? And the answer is no. No, I mean, look, this team, if, if Tennessee's right, if Florida's right, if Georgia's right, this team is probably like a, a fourth-place team in the league. Maybe they could jump up and, and get into that third place 
for any random year, I guess. But like, if you look at this South Carolina team, I know everyone's really high on them. I think you're probably right. I think the answer is is kind of like by default right now because everyone's looking at Tennessee last year. They fell off the map. They 0-8 in the SEC. Florida was a train wreck as well. Uh, although I, I would posit that Florida has better talent than South Carolina. I know they don't have it at the key position at quarterback, but throughout that roster, I think Florida has better talent. I just think they were just deployed horribly last year with uh, with what went down with the coaching situation in McIlwain last year. Uh, but, I mean, look, I will say Will Muschamp, you know, a lot of people were kind of deriding the hire when South Carolina hired him. But would you have to say he's done a pretty good job stabilizing this program? Oh, he has. He stepped in and did a good job. You know, he was able to sell the early playing time to some of these people. And, I mean, a lot of these teams, especially in the SEC, they're built on defense, and that's what Muschamp's always found success. I mean, at Florida, he, has, he was successful with his defenses. It was just his offense, which is, you know, still kind of his problem. But uh, the defense allows him to stay in. Yeah, that, and Muschamp's always going to have a good defense out there, at least a solid defense, and as evidenced by what they had last year. They weren't spectacular defensively last year, but they were they were good enough. They were solid in a lot of different categories. Uh, limiting, really, limiting explosive plays is huge. And that's always been one of the hallmarks of Will Muschamp's defenses is really just trying to limit those explosive plays. Really, the whole Nick Saban family tree defensively is all about limiting explosive plays, and Muschamp's no different there. I don't know, man. I just, I think you're right. It's by default. I just, like, when I hear people say, like, unequivocally, South Carolina is the, the one main challenger to us in the SEC East this year, I, I don't really all the way by that. I get one of the reasons they also say that is the fact that they have us at home and it's the second week of the year before we're really going to have some of those young guys get some experience. I think that also plays into their uh, into their favor. But if you look at this team talent-wise, is there any reason they should remotely be able to compete with us? No, talent-wise, no. There's not. Now, the circumstances you can see early in the year, I get that at home. Uh, but like, I just like, – offensively last year, people talk about Jake Bentley. And let's talk about Jake Bentley for a second. Let's, let's look at this offense. A lot. If you listen to a lot of the media out there, they are very high on Jake Bentley. Not everyone, but most people, they seem to consider him to be uh, a very good quarterback. So should Jake Bentley, in your mind, should he be considered a top-flight SEC quarterback? Because that's really how he's often presented by the media. I wouldn't say so. I think he's a little bit too turnover-prone. I mean, you saw it especially at the, uh, towards the middle the end of last year. year. He was uh, turning the ball over at a high rate. I think if you look at his interception numbers last year, it's part and parcel. It's just a, it's perfect evidence of his inconsistency in general. Through the through the first eight games last year, the dude was protecting the ball fantastically. He only threw four interceptions through the first eight games. But in the last five games, including their bowl game, he threw eight in that stretch to end up with uh, with 12 picks on the year. So he's just highly inconsistent. I mean, he has moments where he can just put the ball on the money and throw it on a rope and make great decisions. But then there's times where you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's, he's throwing the ball so far away from receivers, they have no chance to make a play on the ball, making horrible decisions. I mean, there was one pick he threw in the bowl game against Michigan. I was watching this game a couple of days ago. Uh, he, threw a, he threw a pick. I mean, it was to Hayden Hurst, and the linebacker carried Hurst all the way through the seam, yet he threw anyway. I mean, he was in Hurst's hip pocket. The ball had no chance to be completed. Of course, the linebacker deflects the ball, pops in the air, and another guy comes in and picks it off. I mean, just a horrible decision. He does things like that. And so, like this, I think when people look at Jake Bentley, they look at some of the wow throws. He, do, he does have some wow throws, and he's a pretty athletic guy. Now, he's not this kind of guy you're going to design an entire dual threat offense around, but he's pretty athletic. He, he actually excels when he's outside the pocket, throwing the run. He does a good job there. So I think people kind of get enamored with what he's what he kind of shows that he can do, but the problem is he doesn't do it consistently enough. The decision making is not there consistently. The accuracy is not there consistently. And one thing about this guy, have you picked up on this? This dude is a straight punk on the field. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I mean, this guy, like, 
I, I like guys that play with fire. I really do. I like guys who are emotional, but he takes it like so far overboard. Like he wears his, his emotional sleep. And for a quarterback, sometimes I mean, I like guys that are that are passionate, but for a quarterback, sometimes that can be uh, a negative for them because you 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 got to be even keel back there. But he gets into he, he talks a lot of trash. I mean, he, if you watch him, he'll, he'll take he'll take like falls. It's crazy. He'll like flop after. I mean, there's a couple of times this year I saw. Where he would get in a guy's face and try to basically bait the guy, and the guy would like just barely even touch him. He would like just take a complete flop. Like he's just like one of those punks. That, I, just, I call those guys punks, and to me, that's what Jake Bentley is. But he's a talented guy. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. Uh, but let's look at a couple other pieces on this offense. So now they are only losing three stars on offense, which of course is that's solid for them. And one of the guys that they get back is Debo Samuel, wide receiver. He was a guy, his first two games last year, was kind of exploding onto the scene uh, as a receiver, as a kick return, punt return, whatever it was, getting the ball in his hands any way they could. Uh, but, so they get Debo Samuel back, which is good for them. But one of the stars that they are losing, of those three stars, happens to be one of the most productive players that they had on their offense the past two years, and that is the 37-year-old tight end Hayden Hurst, who was, I mean, let's be real, he was one of the keys to their offense over the past two seasons. So you get Samuel back, good for them, but you lose Hayden Hurst. So if you're looking at that right there, Curse, is that a, would you categorize that as a net gain or a net loss for South Carolina? Um, I honestly think it's a net loss because, I mean, as good as Debo Samuel is, I think, uh, Realistically, Hurst made the entire offense go. He opened up a lot of things because what Sam, you know, Samuels would, you know, garner the attention, which would open up things for Hurst. But realistically, yep. if you don't have have a Hurst type person, then you then the defenses aren't stretched just then. Uh, last year, Hayden Hurst demanded double coverage. I mean, he, he, they had. If you watch a team, so I, I've been deep into film uh, film study here of South Carolina over the past couple of weeks, and if you watch their tape. The vast, not every time, you know, teams do things differently from time to time. Uh, try to mix up coverages, but most of the time, they had safety help over the top wherever Hayden Hurst was. Most of the time, he was a guy that teams were game planning to stop first and foremost on that offense. And and sometimes it hurt them. There was a there was a play, a big play for South Carolina. They were down, I think it was nineteen to three in the Outback Bowl against Michigan. And uh, they had they had a, they had basically bracket coverage on Hayden Hurst. They had a they had a corner. Uh, he's in the slot. Had a cor- uh, had a nickel back on him. Essentially, he had a safety over the top. And what that did is it brought up another safety on the slot guy on the other side of the field, which is Shai Smith. He's got one on one coverage. He basically runs a sluggo, a slant and go, beats the safety. And it was like a fifty yard touchdown pass. He, it, was, it was just throw and catch, easy. So Hayden Hurst, but it was all. I mean, yeah, Shai Smith gets a touchdown and. And uh, you got Jake Bentley getting credit for the touchdown pass, but that play was made 100% by Hayden Hurst. If he's not there to draw double coverage, Shai Smith doesn't get that opportunity. So I think losing Hayden Hurst is something that they're they're going to have to find a guy. Now maybe that you can say they insert Debo Samuel and he's that guy that people have to double cover. Maybe he is. I don't know. But Hayden Hurst, you know for a fact that he was that guy last year. So I don't know. It's it's hard to say if it's a net gain net loss at this point. But right now, I think I'm with you. I'm probably going to lean towards a net loss as that guy was such a key to what they did over the past couple of years. Uh, now, one thing I want to ask you here offensively before we move on to the defense side of the ball is like this is a team. Like, if you look at some of the playmakers on this team, you got Brian Edwards. You got uh, Debo Samuel's there for a couple games. He wasn't there for the whole year. Uh, you got Rico Dowdell, who's there for half the year, gets hurt about, I think it was week six, week seven. Got uh, AJ Turner's a good running back. Shai Smith's a solid, decent receiver there. Warshay Smith's a big body there outside. They have some guys that at various moments throughout the year flash some serious playing ability on offense. So I'm wondering, Kurt, how do you explain if you like or would you agree they, they have some playmakers on that offense? Yeah, I mean I think the so how do you explain that? How do you explain the disparity between that off, that playmaking ability and the and the lack of production? How do you account for that? I think the biggest 
interesting is the, you know, terrible offensive line. I mean, you look at it, last year the offensive line allowed 29 sacks, and like you said earlier, only averaged 3.9 yards per carry um, running ball, and I think that's the pauses, you know, the big the big difference because, you know, they would put up decent passing numbers. I mean, not great, but enough where if you had a, ba- a cl- close to balance attack, then you're more in the middle of the SEC, but they were towards the end. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, the offensive line, you know, I, I think it really hampered them. And I think going forward, this could be the same problem. You lose two C, uh, two multi-year starters and, you know, they talk about how well they, um, you know, they have six guys who have started at least one or two games. I think it was. They got Zach Bailey, who who four went. Yeah, he was going to go pro, but he didn't. But he's back, and it's like I actually I watched him closely in in my film study of this team. I was not overly impressed. I mean, he's a solid player, but I mean, Michigan whipped him. They whipped him all game. They did not. To me, the South Carolina offensive line reminds me of maybe an offensive line we had two years ago, where you have, oh yeah, we have experience. You know, Kublano started a while, Pike's been around a while, things like that. But there's still nothing special, and they hamper your offensive skill. And you know, sure. well, look, I mean, that year we had Sony, we had Chubb, we had uh, um, um, Terry Godwin, Isaiah McKenzie, people like that. But we yeah, still didn't have great offense, and I think that's the same thing the South Carolina faces. That's a great point. So, like, you you look at the playmakers we had, the skill players we had on offense in 2016. They were essentially they were the exact same skill skill players outside of Isaiah McKenzie that we had in 2017. You basically sub Miko Harbin in for Isaiah McKenzie. Same players. The difference was we had an influx of talent. Or we just had different guys in the offensive line. We moved guys around, and lo and behold, we're able to, we're able to run the ball significantly better, uh, and that opens up everything. We could truly be balanced. We, we could not be balanced in the running game to lean on. Different story in 2017. So do you see it potentially being a different story for South Carolina this year with the offensive line? No, because the difference is the people that we plugged in – you know, we're a lot more talented. You have an Andrew Thomas to, who could be a top ten pick one day. Yeah, they don't have. They're not plugging in five stars in the offensive yeah. line. Yeah, they don't have uh, Ben Cleveland to come in there and, and seal the deal late in the late in the season. They don't have a guy like Isaiah Wilson that we could plug in this year. And K May's even pushing him, or Jamari Salyer, Trey, whoever it might be. They don't have those guys. They just don't. No, I mean, they don't have that luxury. I mean, to me, it's like all right, you have guys that have started, but you're it's like a, it's a solid group of three, maybe a low four stars. That's what they are. Yeah, I mean, that, that, but that's what South Carolina recruits. They might get they they, get, they might get one random guy here and there that happens to be an in-state guy that's from nearby. But they, they they're not a national. They don't recruit nationally. So they they get those high three, low four star type players, and that and that's just kind of what their team is. And 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 like they have some. I mean, Bailey's a solid. He's a solid player. Uh, if you look at some of the other guys in the line, it's probably Sedarius Hutcherson, decent. Okay, I mean, he's okay. Uh, Dennis Daly's again another guy who's kind of like okay, but like they're not terrible, but they're not particularly good. I think that if you look at the rush numbers, I think you're right. It's it's largely based on that offensive line. I think that that's that's my explanation too. If you look at they have some playmakers, but if you can't block, if you can't run the ball, and you can't have any semblance of balance, then it doesn't always. I mean, you kind of negate some of the playmakers you have out wide. We saw that firsthand in 2016 in Kirby's first year. Uh, all right, next thing I want to talk about offensively, and then we will move on to the defense here for a few minutes. I'm going to talk about their offensive coordinator here. It's a guy that we know pretty well. They're going to have a new offensive coordinator calling the games this year. That's Brian McClendon, a guy that we are very familiar with, given, obviously, that he used to play for us uh, and was a coach under Mark Rick. He has never been an offensive coordinator before, and he has called exactly one game in his career, which was the Outback Bowl last year against Michigan. And he really couldn't put much of his stamp on that game there because he's basically just coming in for one game. So, Kurt, I'm curious. Like, I think I can see this both ways. I'm curious – do you see a brand new coordinator like that who has never really called a game to be an advantage for us or for South Carolina in that week two matchup? Um, I think it has to be with us. Cause, I mean, the thing is, his whole what he's preaching on right now, harping on, is he wants to run an up tempo offense. 
But they don't have those pieces. No, they don't. But the, I mean, and you're I right. They don't. They don't. You can say, well, we don't know exactly what he's going to run, but we have an idea of what he wants to run, and we also know what their personnel is. But do why, why do we have an idea of what he wants to run? We know they want they want to go more up tempo, but like formationally, personnel wise, do we really know? Like tendency wise, I mean, really do we really know? know? I mean, I think the fact that you know they want to go up tempo allows you to game plan um, for the. I mean, I think realistically, you're just going to have to attack the style. I mean. Year in, year out, you face teams that have new coordinators. So that's nothing new. Yeah, you have to stick to your defensive principles and play assignment football no matter who you play. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is, right? And I think that may actually help us because coming into that game, you know, we talk about you have a count, you have some young guys, especially in the secondary. If you just stick to a, a certain principle and a certain type of thing where you're, you know, we just, we're going to run this type of defense, then I think that allows us to actually simplify what we want to do. You know, I, God, see, I don't know how to go on this. Like, I, I've gone back and forth. I see it both ways. I, I do see what you're saying. And, I, and look, and Brian McClendon's a new guy, so look, he, it, it, this will be his when he, when he plays us in week two. It'll be his really like, I guess technically be his third game calling plays, but it'll be the second game calling plays with the offense that he's implementing. Because what he, what the, the offense he was working with against Michigan last year, Epic Bowl, that was an offense that already been put in place that he was just kind of calling plays that they had. Now he's going to be able to put his own twist on things this year. So I, I can see it where you're like, you know, he hasn't faced these situations. Now they play Coastal Carolina in Week One. Is he really? Uh, is that offense going to get tested in Week One? No. So he, he's not going to face a tough situation, a pressure situation there. He's not going to face a situation where he has to make in-game adjustments on the fly based on what defenses are doing and have to react to what we're doing. He hasn't. Now he's been a part of coaching staffs for sure. He, it's not like he's he is a football neophyte. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's never been in a situation to have to call get call plays in big moments. When you're facing elite defensive minds like Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker having to adjust on the fly, do things like that. And it, that that does take some time. It takes experience. Now, I could see the other side and say, well, we have no freaking clue what this guy's going to run. Because not only is he the new coordinator for this team, he's a new coordinator in general. We have no idea really exactly what kind of formations he's going to run, what his tendencies are going to be. Like we're, we're basically flying blind when it comes to that kind of stuff, which I do think you have to take into account. Yes, you're going to you're going to – Go with your principles defensively. You're going to play your assignments. Guys do what they're going to do. I get that. But it really helps to understand what the tendencies are. I mean, you, some of you guys out there, you might not realize how much time, like in, in film study, like what you're doing. You have guys on the scene, some of these like these uh, these guys, the support staff guys, like they chart with what each team does on third and short, third and medium, third and long from the right hash, and the left hash, in the middle of the field, with what personnel, with what formations, all these different charts. So you can know what tendencies are, which helps you determine what you want to call against certain formations. We don't have that. We're not going to. We're not going to have that luxury against them. So like, they're going to be. I mean, I, I guess you could say he's going to be flying blind in some ways, since he's brand new. To this, but we can, we're going to be flying blind a little bit as well in calling defenses to match up with what they're doing. But I'll just say, like, wouldn't you at the end of the day trust Kirby Smart, Mel Tucker? Flying against yeah, a guy I mean, over I, Brian McClendon? I think I would. I mean, the biggest the thing that really opened my mind to the way they'll at least adjust was the Missouri game the first year. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, that was yeah. I mean, remember, God, they were smoking us in that first half. Remember that? Dear God, I, was, I mean, I, it was it was not even funny. Anytime they wanted to complete a pass, it was a, it was a touchdown, practically like a 50, 60 yard touchdown. Yeah, so, it's about to vomit. I mean, this and the game, way they man. adjusted, and I mean, I. I, I if I was going to doubt our guys, I wouldn't doubt Kirby. We've seen that. I mean, we, we saw it against Oklahoma. I mean, we, we've seen that time and time again with our staff, like, you know, making halftime adjustments. Okay, look, our game plan, it did, whatever, you know, it didn't work out the way we wanted to. Let's make some adjustments. So, 
Yeah, I think you have to go in the track record of our guys over Brian McLean. I do think it's going to – I mean, like I'm not super thrilled with the idea that we don't really have much to go off of with him. I think that that could be a, a difficulty we're going to have to face in this game. But at the end of the day, we've got guys with significant experience, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll be able to adjust on the fly like you said. Hopefully. I think I'll trust our guys a little bit more there. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball here. And I'm just going to ask you a simple question, Curtis. All right, their defensive numbers last year were pretty solid. All right, they were they were solid. They weren't spectacular. Nothing blows you away. They were pretty much in the middle of the pack almost across the board, except in sacks and, and defending the pass. They were not good there. Uh, but they're losing seven starters off of, of a decent defense. So very simply, who are the difference makers on this defense? Um, realistically, if you're looking at it, I think you have to look at uh, DJ Warnham and uh, Bryson Allen Williams mainly. And, and, see, the thing um, is, they, they, if you ask a South Carolina fan, that question I just asked you, those are the guys they would point to, right? But do they scare you? Like, honestly, from our perspective, do they really scare you? No, I mean, Warnham can get some um, he can get some pressure at pass rush, but he doesn't scare me at all. He's all right. Point. I mean, he, he's, he's, a, he, he's a solid pass rusher, but he's not, yeah, he's he's not a elite. Yeah, he's a solid guy. I mean, he's not a clowny, and at the same time, like no. I said, he doesn't trying to stop the run yeah actually that's one thing i noticed as well is he he's not very stout against throwing at all uh, in fact I don't, it's half time it doesn't seem like he's trying to play the run it seems like he just pins his ear back and tries to rush the quarterback almost every single down uh I, I, what i would do against him is honestly i would run right at him and we'll get into more of that once we get to the actual game we're here in a couple of months but like if you, i think you're right if you ask a south carolina fan who are the playmakers who are the best players in your defense this year number one would be probably bryce Allen williams guy because you know he's coming back from injury and he's he's gonna be the savior it's like, dude, what has he done throughout his entire year? He's been okay. He's been okay. And DJ Wadden, who's been a solid pass rusher, he is their best pass rusher. He's the one defensive line, starting defensive lineman returning. But are either of those guys first-team All-SEC candidates? No, not at all. No. And other than that, I mean, you're realistically relying on someone like a Jemias Williams and people like that to step up in a secondary that really struggles. is – they're moving 5'7 Jemias Williams to safety this year. I, yeah. What do you think about that move? And, and that, this is after he missed the entire spring. Yeah, and see, like, well, the, the reason, honestly, the reason they're making that move is he got torched last year. Like, he he was he one of the big time guys it, that they got I, in that 2016 class. He got safety, torched. Safety, 17 class. If you, if you have someone like Matt Landers or, or a big time receiver in there, that's not even close. What you do in a situation like that, if you got Jemias Williams in, in playing safety, depending on the coverages, you want to get a guy in the slot. You want to you want to formation them into into a situation where no, it depends on what coverage they're running to. But if you get him matched up on, you're right on a Matt Landers. Or even a Riley Ridley, a guy who can go up and get the ball, a, a JJ Hallman potentially, a one of our even one of our tight ends, he's got no chance. And, and you saw that last year. Miko Hardman even torched him for a, a deep ball touchdown last year in the end zone. It just, I, he's he's a good athlete. He's a really good athlete. He's got good hips. I mean, he's very fluid. But this it's like what we said when we were recruiting him. You can't like. There's no overcoming that size. Like you are what you are. You're five foot seven. And that size advantage is just—it's going to be hard to overcome when you're facing guys who are six five, something like that. Another guy I want to point out here that I think South Carolina fans are also high on. Actually, I know they're high on him. Is a guy named T.J. Brunson, who's their middle linebacker this year. He'll probably be—he'll—he'll he'll probably be the leading tackler on the team because he plays that middle linebacker position. Um, and some national pundits. This is another guy they're pretty big on. I'll tell you right now, I—I I honestly do not think much at all of T.J. Brunson. I do not think he's very good. Uh, and this is based on watching multiple games from last year. Now, maybe he makes a jump this year. Maybe. Uh, but I just, look, man, I I do I did not like what I saw from him. Uh, I think he overreacts. I, I, I think he has no, and what I mean by that is, like, 
he like to play action. It's any sort of fake whatsoever. He just over. He has no football instincts whatsoever. He looks lost out there at times. He overbites on things way too consistently. Uh, he's a solid athlete, but he's not spectacular. He takes some ab- some of the worst angles I have ever seen in pursuit. Like some of the worst angles I've ever seen. He is horrible in trap. He has a lot of trouble disengaging from blocks. This is a guy they're really counting on to be the, the centerpiece of the middle of that defense, and I am just not seeing it from him. I'm talking about, I mean, watching our game with him last year, watching the uh, uh, watching the Missouri game last year, watching them play uh, Michigan, watching them play Florida, watching uh, or even watching their spring game, even the spring game. I'm like, dude, this guy just is not very good. Uh, so he's a the guy they're counting on, and if that's a guy they're counting on, man, I think we can have a field day running the football on them. I really do. Now, saying. I, now, saying that, I do think a guy that I've somewhat been impressed by, and I wasn't expecting this, is a guy named Daniel Fennell, uh, who's kind of like an outside linebacker for them. He's a guy that flashed to me. Now, late in the season, he got some more playing time with some injuries, and he's a guy that, that's a, a solid pass rusher. I think he's probably their second-best pass rusher outside Wanham, and he also plays the run pretty well uh, as well. So he's a guy to keep your eye on. I think he's he's a good player. I think he'll probably fit in that starting lineup somewhere along the way. Uh, now, you got to fit in Bryce Nile Williams. I don't know where he fits in there, but I think Fennell is going to be a guy that can do some things for them. But look, I mean, they're losing three of the top four star, or three of the four stars on defensive line, three of the four stars in secondary. Like, people, like, they look at our defense and say, well, Georgia's losing too much. We just can't pick them to be in the college football playoff this year. But is South Carolina losing any less? Well, man, that's the thing. They're losing just as much as us and not replacing them with anywhere near the talent we have. Like, they're losing three of the four on the defensive line, and what are you going to expect? you expect something like a Rick Sandridge to be a, a game-changer as a freshman? That's a huge, you know... That's a, that's a huge ass, man. I mean, yeah, Keir, that's a huge dream. Keir Thomas is pretty good, but... Secondary-wise, they're taking a transfer from Texas A&M. Why is he leaving Texas A&M if he's good enough? Because he's not good enough. That's your answer. Exactly, and that's the thing. They're, they're relying on someone like... That to come in and make a difference. Yeah, yeah like uh, Keisha Nixon, Stephen Montak, they're going to probably be stars this year. And these guys are, are seniors. They're they're seniors this year that have, that that have played, but have never been like major contributors. Montak a little bit more so than Nixon. But uh, you know, to me, one of those things like when you're a senior and you're becoming a, a true like one hundred percent starter for the first time, what does that usually tell you about that guy? There's a reason. There's a reason you didn't start until your senior year. Okay, and like, now I'm not saying they can't be solid players. They, they can't. And Montag has some stars under his belt, but he just wasn't a full time guy back there. Uh, but I mean, they're losing their best players in the defensive line. They're losing their best players in the secondary. Losing their best player in the middle there with Sky Moore. And I just and you're right, they're not replacing it with elite talent. They're replacing it with some solid guys. I mean, I will say Will Muschamp has upgraded their talent level because Spurrier just. I mean, he just completely neglected to even bother recruiting his last couple years. They, they have been upgraded the past couple years. But it's it it's not it's nowhere near our level. I mean, let's just be real. Like the guys that we're replacing, that we're we're losing a lot of guys defensively. Sure, we are some stars, some freaking studs. But the guys that we're going to be plugging in are significantly more talented than the guys that South Carolina we plug in to replace their seven departing starters from the 2017 defense. So, I, I, I'm not going to say that, they're not going to be scrubs. Well, Muschamp's a good coach. They got they have some good players. Wadham's a good solid player. Uh, I don't think Juan, I, I don't think Brunson's very good, but he's decent. He's good enough. Javon Kinlaw is a big nose guard. Uh, Keir Thomas is a guy who flashed at times in the defensive line. Williams is a really talented athlete, but he's just small. But I mean, and Aaron Sterling is a guy that they did, he'll be a sophomore this year. That he played a little bit for them last year. I think he could be a guy that that plays a, a good bit for them on the defensive line this year, kind of a pass rushing role. But so they have some good solid players. But one thing, one thing I want to say too is, you know, we're talking about it. They're having all these differences. You know, we're 
when we face them, we're both got a young set, uh, young defense. Sure. The biggest difference is we talk about it, their offensive line compared to our offensive line is going to be the very because we both have playmakers, both have experienced quarterbacks, yeah. but we have what they don't have and the strength on the offensive line. I agree. I agree. I agree. Look, I know we're losing some players on uh, on offense in the skill position, the running back and Javon Williams, and you know, obviously we're losing some guys, but we have a lot of guys coming back too, man. And our offense was like light years ahead of them last year. I mean, light years. We had a top four offense in the league. If you look at yards per play, we were number two in the league last year. They were 12th, okay? Uh, now, I know Jake Bentley is going to be uh, a, a junior. But Jake, like, Jake Fromm is going to be a sophomore. I'm sorry. I know it's at Columbia. I'm going to take Jake Fromm over Jake Bentley all day long. And the numbers really, I mean, the completion percentage are pretty similar, but Fromm throws for almost two yards more per pass attempt. He's, throwing the, he's much more accurate down the field, more consistently. His rating is like 20 points higher uh, his pass rating is like twenty points higher than than Bentley, and Bentley was a sophomore last year. So and, and also, I think Fromm's played in. I mean, played well, in moments. You know, we're talking about how you know their stadium's going to be packed and it's going to be you know loud and everything. But I don't think it's any different than what Fromm's played in after playing in Auburn last year, the SEC no. championship, national championship, the Rose Bowl, no. all those huge games. No. I don't think Bentley's ever played in an atmosphere like that. It may affect some of our younger guys. I'm not going to say it's not because it's a. I mean, it is. It, there is no play. I'm not going to say it's the toughest place, but it, it's at least as tough as anywhere else in this league, including Tiger Stadium. But I'm not worried about Jay Fromm. Like Jay Fromm's not going to be affected by that. Some some of our other guys might be. Some of the young guys maybe, but Jay Fromm will not be affected by that. There's just I, there's, no no not happening. Not with what he played through last year and and uh, all those huge environments and the way he responded to big time moments. No, I mean this is a guy that drove a fourth quarter. Uh, touchdown drive to tie the game late in the Rose Bowl. No, sorry, no, just no, no. And it's the same thing against Notre Dame. No, I'm not buying that. Uh, but I do think you're onto something there. I think both defenses are going to be plugging in some guys, uh, some young players, and experience. Now, South Carolina does have the advantage that they are going to be having the home crowd to kind of feed off of. But when it comes down to it, I just like our offense to score points against their defense. I think our offense, with, the, with our offensive line, is a is a is more of a mismatch for that defensive line, and that, really the whole front seven for South Carolina, than their offensive line is for our front seven. I, I, I am so mildly concerned about our front seven right now. There are some question marks there. Defensive line, linebacker, there are some question marks. But there's you could say there's also the same question marks for South Carolina, and our offensive line is much more equipped, in my opinion, to handle and take advantage of South Carolina's deficiencies more so than South Carolina's offensive line is equipped to take advantage of our potential deficiencies on our defensive front. Is that fair? I agree, and I think that's a huge difference. And I think at the same time, you know, we're talking about how it's week two, and they'll have this, the you know the fans behind them. But they will. you saw a change in our team last year, though, in the mentality of it, when they go in these away games, it doesn't seem like the moment's too big for them like it did in sure. the previous regime. Yeah, man, look, that's a great point. So this, I, I have been like personally wrestling with this because I feel like oh, for so many years I – I call it the Mark Rick effect, like where we always play down to opponents, right? And like we would go into South Carolina games like that. Teams in games where we're a good bit more talented than them, and we get affected by the moment. We get affected by the environment. We get a uh, we would play down to our opponent, and we'd eke out a win, or, or we'd lose a game we shouldn't lose. And so I kind of got affected by it. You know, I, 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 I kind of got conditioned to that, you know? And with Kirby, and, and there was some of that with Kirby Smart's first year. Let's not, I mean, let's not forget about Vanderbilt. And so it kind of continued there. But last year... 
I feel like we kind of started to turn the page. Like I was, I kept waiting all last year for the shoe to drop. Like, okay, like when are we going to do the Georgia thing where we like play down to our opponent and we have a game that's much closer than it should be, or we lose to somebody we have no business losing to, but it never happened. And like, we just kept like blowing people out. So do you really think that we have turned the corner and we shouldn't like worry about situations like we're going into in Columbia, like we have in the past? I do, because I think across the board, you're seeing more buy-in. And I think Kirby, in that first year, while I was growing pains, you know, you saw the t- you know the actual more toughness in the first year. And the younger guys, you did the upperclassmen. And now those guys that were freshmen his first year, now going into the junior year. And I think from, you know, day one, it's being instilled in these guys. You're seeing, I mean, you saw it last year in our, in our freshmen. You saw it in Swift. You saw it in Thomas. You saw it in Fromm. You saw it in all these young guys. Yeah, I, I, I look. I believe it, man. Like I, I just believe in Kirby Smart. You saw, it, you I, saw it in Notre Dame week two. I mean, yeah, you should did. we have won? Should we have won that game realistically with Jake Fromm in his first no. year, his first ever start? Night game, Richard road game. To play well, snaps. kind of a home game, but but no, we shouldn't have won that game. Probably not. I mean, in retrospect, probably not. But somehow we did. Um, yeah, man. Like I just, I'm a believer in Kirby Smart. And I. I'm a believer in Kirby Smart in, in every facet of the game, honestly. Like in terms of giving our team uh, prepared from a X's and O's standpoint, from uh, recruiting the right types of players, or getting a, the strength and conditioning program in in shape in the right form, uh, and also like just making our guys mentally tough. We are just such we are a physically tougher team. I really believe that than we were in a market. I really believe that, and I think it's clear that we are a mentally tougher team, right? Yeah, I, I really do. And we, look, we might go into Columbia and lose. South Carolina is going to be a good solid team, and they will feed off that environment. And but if we if we lose that game, I I'm I just don't see it being because we we choked, we froze up, and we were seeing stars, you know, or or we were kind of like awestruck by the environment. That's not why we'll lose that game if we lose it. If we lose games, because we got young guys that blow coverage in the secondary, uh, we throw some bad picks, just do things that we don't normally do, things like that. But it's not gonna be it's not gonna be like a 2012 scenario, right? That in that game, that that awful game where we just got, you know, it was like a blitzkrieg from 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 the first snap, and we just we were seeing stars, man. And we never recovered. I, I just don't see that. Do you? No, not at all. I mean, it'll be a tough environment. Don't get me wrong. And like like some of the practical things, like actually like hearing sig- like you know hearing cadences and and getting the signals right and being on the same page offensively, like some of those things that will be tough. But that's not because you're not mentally tough. It's nice to actually have the indoor facility for that because while we were outdoors and we pumped up all that all that loud noise and stuff, it's so much louder when you go inside in the indoor facility and pump it in like that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Sometimes I run – I live in Athens. I'll run by the practice facility when they're doing – when they have practice. And and when we have a road game and you hear them pump it up, it is freaking crazy loud in there. It's insane. So that does help. But, I mean, the the practical matters of that, just like getting your signals in and things like that, that could be tough. But it's not going to be because we choke because – like, oh, my God, we can't – like, we wither in the moment because the crowd's just so intimidating. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but it'll be a tough game regardless. All right, last question I have for you here today, my man. Uh, just looking at this game, what is your way-too-early level of confidence in us winning this game? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being like you have no faith that we're going to win this game whatsoever – and Tim being like, you are like supremely confident. So on June 14th, when we're recording this show, 7, 12 p.m., June 14th, you're way too early level of confidence in us winning this game. Um, I'd start right now probably at a 6. You know, I've, I've vacillated between a 6 and a 7. I think I think 6 is probably safer just because uh, like South Carolina does have some good solid players, and it's going to be at home. The environment will be loud. I, I don't think we're going to shrink from that. It's just some, there's some practical things that we do have some young guys secondary. The fact that it's the second week of the year, 
and our guys haven't maybe had a chance to gel on defense early in the year and get a lot of experience under their belt. If this game was uh, like last year, if it was like week 10, I would I would put it about a 7 or an 8. But by virtue of the fact that it's week 2, I will put it at a 6. I, I think playing them week 2 on the road is such an advantage to them because like we've said this before, it just – it really kind of mitigates the talent advantage that we have sometimes because our, some of those guys that we're replacing, it's the nature of the beast in college football is you replace stars. The guys are here and they come and they go. And when you're on the, when you're replacing guys, veteran guys with younger guys that don't have a lot of experience, and they're playing their second like real game, and it's a on the it's on the road and like their first big road SEC environment, like that that can be tough for young guys. So by virtue of that, I'll put it at a six as well. I hate agreeing with you, man. I gotta find a way to not agree with you, but you, you're on, you're spot on. So I gotta go with it here. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ Podcast. It's the first edition of many more editions to come throughout the summer of our Summer Scouting the Enemy series. Definitely hope you guys enjoyed it here. We really enjoy doing these shows. This is actual hardcore football talk, and that's what we're all about here on our podcast, the nuts and bolts of football. So we'd love to hear what you guys have to think about South Carolina. Like, are they really our uh, primary challenger in the SEC East this year. Do you buy that? Or do you see a team like Florida? I think Florida might be a little more talented than South Carolina. They don't have the position at quarterback. That's so important. That's really kind of settled. But do you buy that? Uh, if so, why? Why do you buy that South Carolina is that team? You'll get some of the numbers from last year. Their offense was pretty putrid. Uh, are they going to make a big jump? I, I don't know. I mean, they'll probably make a jump because they have a lot of guys come back. You have a, a quarterback and is coming going in his, like, well, I guess second and a half year as a starter. Uh, so they'll, they'll probably make a, some strides especially with Debo Samuel coming back. But will they take that next step and be a really good offense? I don't know if I'm ready to go that far. But hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely check back with us next week. We'll have a Missouri preview show for you guys as well. Um, So thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.